Hello and welcome to Yubcast. My name is Matt and I am one with the Force and the Force is with me. And my name is Jamie and I'm a woman who doesn't believe in sure things. You sure are. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is yours from? It's a Dr. Afra quote. Oh, damn it. Um, we didn't talk about this episode ahead of time, but I have a shit ton of Dr. Afra stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um. <laughs> no, this is good, because we can go in completely cold. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we haven't gotten a chance to talk ahead of time about this one. Um, this is actually when we we talked about the episode after this, before we even mentioned that we hadn't talked about this one for some reason. This one flew by because of our social schedules or bullshit or whatever the hell else we're talking about. We missed miss this one entirely, but today we're talking about Bad Batch, Season 2, Episode 5, uh, Entombed, right? Mm-hmm, yes. Before we get into that, is there any Star Wars news you want to talk about this week? No, uh, not really. Um, tried uh, Jedi Survivor, fall, um, the second Fallen Order sequel, and had problems with Microsoft's website, so I'm just like, well, I'll just hold off on that. I thought it got delayed until April. Yeah, but I was just pre-ordering it. Oh, so your pre-order has an issue? Yeah, it was just it's just the website and um and how we were doing it. Probably just go through Amazon or something. Don't you get like a free skin or something for BD1 or some some bullshit like that if you order it now? Possibly, but I I kind of learned my lesson with that sort of stuff, like getting like there's this a uh, game uh series i really like called borderlands and so uh, borderlands 3 came out a few years back and so i like bought like the ultimate edition which is like the most expensive one and it comes in like a, a fancy metal case and you get all sorts of in-game stuff i barely used any of it and um and i've gotten to the point now where i don't care so much about all of that sort of stuff so i just want to play the game because i just don't have I'm not like playing the same game over and over and over again. So customizing my character doesn't really mean that much to me anymore. So Right. I'm 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 doing a very similar activity right now with um we have a video game. You know I put that big T V in the basement, right? And I've been hooking all the video game systems up to it and we have a Nintendo Switch that I play Mario Maker two on all the time with the kids. We make Mario levels and I play random levels. But the Switch has a sale right now. For the Jedi Knight collection, which is like three games that, or the Jedi Knight series or something, you can get the game for nineteen ninety nine, or you can get the deluxe edition for like one hundred and fifty bucks. And I was like, "What's the fucking difference?" And it took me forever tonight. I, I went drinking before. I went to my favorite bar tonight before the recording. I was sitting there. I was like, "What?" could possibly be the difference that justifies like a seven to eight times the cost and as far as i could tell it was a book and a poster that came with it and like a nice case right <laughs> and so i got the 1999 one yeah i was like my kids don't give a shit about that stuff i don't give a shit about that stuff and i just want to build this star wars arcade downstairs where you could like play a dozen different star wars games like we've got the pod racer game on the Xbox, and the Republic Commandos game on the Xbox, we've got the Vader Immortal and Galaxy's Edge on the VR, and now we've got three or four games 
on like the Nintendo Switch. And it's just like, I don't need the nicest fucking version of this stuff. I just need a version where the kids will enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think what you need now is the actual arcade version of the pod racing game where you where you sit down in a big pod. Have we talked about this? No. Yeah. So, so my wife's friend and coworker at the city that she works at, um, he has a basement arcade. And what I mean, he has a basement arcade. He has six old school pinball machines and about twenty arcade cabinets. For like Centipede and um, like Donkey Kong and like those era games, like 1980 era games, and he he has a side business where he rents them out to basically bars and breweries. And so for a while, I was helping him like place these games in breweries, like he has like three Centipede games, for example, mm-hmm. like Galaga and things like that, and Asteroids and. You know the Atari era, late eight or seventies, early eighties arcade cabinet era. He's got maybe thirty of these games total. Some of them I've never even heard of because I wasn't a huge video game kid when I was a kid. Um, anyway, he when when I told him about my Star Wars basement thing, he's like he's like, well, I can get you a Star Wars Atari game. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is that? And he's like, it's the Atari game that came out in nineteen eighty two. Like we can get get a cabinet for a couple thousand dollars, and and like he restores these games, and I'm seriously considering it, even though it would be like a really shitty video game. We have the space, to stick in the corner, and they they retain their value because of the collectability of them. We don't fuck them up, obviously. Like you don't have like a flood in the basement or something that ruins them. But yeah, but he's he's sent me two links for ones that are around $4,000 a piece, and I'm seriously considering it. <laughs> to get, like, a 1982-1983 Star Wars Atari game down here. The Pod Racer is cool because it's, it's like, one of those ones you sit in. Mm-hmm, yeah. Can those network? No. No, you'd have to actually physically come here, which means you can actually... You no, need no, to, I, mean, you, I mean, like, can you, can you, could you have two and, and, and plug them into... Uh, the Pod Racer? Connect them together. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe the pod racers could do that. If you, I'm sure we could figure. I'm sure we could engineer it out. I'm sure we're smart enough to engineer it out to where we could, yeah. <laughs> where we could race. <laughs> but we we might as well just do, do that on the Switch if we want to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't. Yeah, I don't, that's. We can do it on the Xbox for sure. Man. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, um, a guy so that pod racer with... game on the Xbox is like twelve bucks or nine bucks or something. If you want to, if you want to race pod racing, I'm sure we can do it on the Xbox. Yeah, there, you know, there's a guy I work with. Um, he was, um, I was talking to him um, over uh, a Zoom call. He was helping me with something, and he's like, "Yeah, you're a big Star Wars fan, right?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, I just ordered the Mandalorian pinball machine," and he's telling me all Holy about shit, it. Holy shit, those things are so fucking expensive. Yeah, it sounded like it, and he got like the super nice version of it, and I'm just like, "Wow, I don't really like pinball that much, but man, I would totally play that." If I if my my space in the basement is big and I'm allowed to do anything I want within it I'm I'm approaching the limit I think <laughs> but <laughs> I'm supposedly allowed to do whatever I want I putting a pinball down here would be pretty challenging honestly it's just there's just not enough space pinballs take up a lot of space and if we did that we probably would have to give up like the Star Wars toy alcove or 
or something, right? And I, yeah, I, I want, I, I really wanted to make this basement to be like a cantina because it's, it's a walkout basement. I want people, like when we have people over in the yard, I want them to come in and out of the basement and basically step into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. What I think you need to do is what um, uh, Gus Fring did in Breaking Bad and hire some German engineers to create a new basement for you where you can put all your pinball and arcade games. No, I've often if I if I won the lottery if I if I came into a, a ton of money and could build design a house, I would just design like a fifteen hundred square foot basement where I could just have Star Star Wars shit. There'd be an arcade, there'd be a movie theater, there'd be like a toy alcove, there'd be a diorama section and a book section. Right. It's roughly mm-hmm. what I'm doing now, except like on steroids. But I have done a lot of Star Wars this week, um, at least since our last recording, which is a little bit over a week, I think. I've got my Mon Calamari flan in. I I bought some flan, Mon Calamari currency off of a guy on Etsy. It's pretty good. It was pretty cheap, so it was worth the risk. I got a Lola droid, which is the droid that little girl Leia had. It, it walks like a woman, but talks like a man. There it is. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a weird all parody of that song called Yoda. So, keep it in the family. <laughs> I met him in the swamp down in Dagobah, where it bubbles all day like a giant carbonated soda. <laughs> was the f- funny thing is, I didn't know that that was a parody song. I would listen to that song on my paper route. And then I then I, later I heard the Kinks version. I'm like, holy shit, this is Yoda. And you're like, Weird Al's a fraud. <laughs> he actually, when I saw him uh, play, he he actually closed with Yoda. I think I told you this, and it was like, yeah, it was like one of the best concerts and like the best closings of a concert that I had ever seen. It was so. It's, it has just become my goal to get Weird Al on the show. <laughs> He's never done a voiceover character, but uh, I'm gonna do it. Uh, just gonna, I think that uh, on on our show. Yeah, on this show. Oh, I I think that's probably gonna have to involve kidnapping, which I don't condone. I'm not gonna fucking kidnap him. I'm just gonna be super fucking charismatic and charming. I think I I think I think you 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 project how uncharismatic you are onto me. Sometimes I can get weird out. <laughs> <laughs> just be like, you want to see your dog again? <laughs> Thank you for doing the interview. Here's your turtle, alive and well. <laughs> What's the name of the blonde woman from SNL in the 80s who always had a crush on Weird Al? It's like Julia Sweeney or somebody. Or, no, was it the one who was also in... UHF? Yeah, yeah. She she was always Victoria like, Jackson. Victoria she, Jackson. <laughs> yeah, she, she went like bananas. I remember, like her trying, like her like going to interview people during the uh, Occupy Wall Street movement, and she just made herself look rather foolish. Oh, did she cross the line? Oh yeah, she went to the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right, we can skip where, it. Where where people who star is fading go? All right. So my my other big Star Wars news for the week is I unpacked my battle droid. It is here. I sent you a photo of all the parts laid out. And the boys and I 
um, did a rough assembly without the bolt, without the bolts. Um, but we've ordered all the bolts, and they're in the mail. We'll have them by the end of the week, and we can do a rough build, and then it's just sanding, gluing, and painting. And then we will have our battle droid mannequin put together. And I put together its head today. I'll send you a photo right now. I'm going to focus on getting the battle droid and R2 put together. Get a little soundboard for it with a, just like a remote. Just have them say basic phrases. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I actually did some research on that this week, and that that's not going to be too hard. Like I can get like a little, um, like controller board with a remote, the remote receiver, and then plug it into a soundboard and have half a dozen recorded sounds, and then it's got these hollow spaces running throughout the whole thing. It's like there's a like a half inch to three quarter inch um, negative space, I guess for like a support beam or something, or something like a dowel that runs through his entire body. But I was thinking like, oh, it'd be super easy to run wires and still have the support stuff there. If you just like cut a notch in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you need to have like a bunch of uh, battle droid sounds and like one inappropriate one. That so like when it plays, you can be like, oh geez, I don't know how to, how to tack it in there. That's the other cool thing that happened this week. I don't think I, I don't think we've talked about this, but um, sorry, the boy, um, he and his friends started a D and D game. Oh, that's right. You well, you said, but we didn't get too much into it. Right. So, so I just basically, my wife just dropped him off at this game, or like his, I guess his friend's mother picked him up. But it turns out the game is a block away from our house. And so it's like we live on 40th. It's literally around 39th of our block. And so when the game was over, he just walked home. I didn't know where it was when, when they were like, oh, he's going to join this D&D game. I'm like, that's fine with me. Like, I don't care. Like, if he enjoys it, he can do it. He came home over the fucking moon happy. Like, he was like, oh, we went to this tavern and everyone got too drunk. And so we all were disadvantaged. We all had disadvantage. <laughs> like, that's, for... like, that's daddy in real life. <laughs> <laughs> like we all had this advantage on perception checks and then we were supposed to assassinate this guy and he jumped out the window and he, he started to get away and so we tried to jump out the window and I had feather fall but my friend didn't have feather fall and so he took a ton of fall damage and I didn't take any fall damage and I was able to and he just like it was like you have kids right so it was that like the frantic description of like I had so much fucking fun mm-hmm. and I was so happy for him because, because it's like there's like five of them in this game, and it's like the perfect size, and they're all within like a year of each other. My kids, the boy is the on the young side of this group, but he's played soccer with all of these kids, and I was their soccer coach for a long time, so they all sort of know each other. Because um, yes, I coached soccer for a, a regrettable five years of my life. <laughs> um. And so they're all they're all together, and now they're all playing this D and D game. And I and I was so happy he came home, super excited. And he was asking if we get the player manual, and I was like, sure, we can order a book because what's a twenty fucking dollar book, right? It's nothing. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> someone who's gonna buy a four thousand dollar stylus cabinet. Just thinking about it, I didn't say I was gonna. And it's an investment, Jamie, so fuck off. 
It's like that gas station I want to buy right now. Yeah. But that was for money laundering purposes, I thought. Yeah, it was for money laundering purposes. Because I'm the Walter White, Walter White of uh, suburban D.C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just... Dungeons and Dragons for three hours. Then I was slain by an elf. Listen to yourself, man. You're hanging with nerds. You take that back. Homer, please. These boys sound very nice, but they're clearly nerds. Really? <laughs> nerds are my mortal enemy. <laughs> What's great about that Bart says something and he immediately like, starts pointing the knife at He's going to go after Bart with a knife for calling <laughs> his friends nerds. I was just thinking, you, you are not, you're not going to be like the, the clueless dad from Stranger Things when your son and his friends are like conjuring the devil or whatever it is. They what, like what exactly do you, what exactly about me do you think I'm going to end up being the dad from Stranger Things? Like you might know me better than anybody else with, with okay, the exception sorry, of like the witnesses. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> no, I, I guess you would be the person who is in charge of the weird government experiment that goes awry. Yeah, if I'm anything, I'm Paul Reiser in that movie. <laughs> in that show. There you go. That's realistic. That's a realistic casting, okay? I'm not the hapless like investment banker or some dipshit, whatever the fuck that guy does. I'm the guy that goes too far and like ruins the world. <laughs> Just remind your son that, like, back when we were his age, like, suburban moms would have gone crazy um, and, like, burned uh, burned his D&D books and uh, sent him off to probably, like, a, some sort of church camp. Yeah, actually, we actually had a conversation with the Satanic Panic um, because a D&D movie's coming out, right? Mm -hmm. or it's, it's already out? I don't know. Yeah, Mazes but, and Monsters? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was talking about how how Tom Hanks was in a D and D movie when I was a kid, and how it sort of set off a satanic panic. And I was like, "But they're scared of nothing." And Ethan's like, "We just rolled dice and like told jokes." And I said, "And summon the devil." <laughs> <laughs> but it's like I just want—I'm so happy for him. Like, I'm legitimately happy for him because he was excited about being a, he came back and he's like, I'm a dwarven, um, druid. I'm a dwarf who's a druid. I can, I can cast spells. He's like, and everyone else pick like fighters. He's like, I think oh. it's just, it just seems like a bad strategy for the team, but, but he seems very excited. And so I'm very happy for him. Big nerd dad moment, yeah. right? It's like it's like if my kid came to me and said, like, I just read this short story by Arthur C. Clarke. Have you read anything by him? And it'd be like, oh, sit the fuck down. <laughs> this is this is your whole day now. <laughs> yeah, it's like when um, I, I took my son to um, to ride on Star Tours, and then uh, as we're coming out, they it ex exit it and goes directly to the gift shop, and then there's just like tons of like toys and stuff you can only get it in like Disneyland. And he's like, can I have a toy? I'm like, yes. He's like, this is exactly what I wanted. Yes, please pick a fucking toy, and you're gonna get a toy, and I'm gonna get a toy, and yeah. we're not gonna we're not gonna complain about it. No one's gonna say anything about it at all. We're just all gonna get toys. <laughs> I'm like, this is the dream. 
right? The dream is to have well-adjusted nerd children. Mm-hmm. And my my the story I used to tell, I'm sure I've told you the story about my experience as a nerd child, is that when I was... My mother went to medical school when I was in junior high, right? And so she became, she went from an elementary school teacher to a, a doctor, and that meant we had to move. And so when we, when, when we moved, I was 12 or 13. So I was in a brand new school when I was at the worst stage to be in a brand new school. And I met a, I met a kid who was teaching himself how to program a computer. And this is in the early 90s. Um, there was no computer programming classes. And he was trying to basically teach himself basic, like QBasic or GW Basic, on some computer in the corner of a classroom. And I was like, oh, we can be friends, because I was learning GW Basic at the time. Didn't know QBasic existed. Um, and for everyone that doesn't know what these things are, fuck off. <laughs> um, but these were early computer programming languages that, that had user interfaces that you could type in. And GW Basic, saying GW Basic had a user interface is pretty fucking generous. Um, anyway, he, he was teaching himself, like, basic on this computer, and I was meeting with him, and he's like, oh, some of us meet in the library during lunch. And I was like, what do you mean in the library during lunch? He's like, it's safe there. And so I went to the library with him during lunch, and... They were, it was an old card catalog library. Like you pull out the drawers and like look for things in the Dewey Decimal System sort of library. And the librarian had a new computer and she was computerizing the database. She had a, she had a database and she was trying to convert the card catalog to a computer database so you could search it. Mm-hmm. And she would pay these like preteens and teenage like young teenagers candy to um get a pile of cards during lunch and convert them into the digital database and so i spent my junior high time at lunch getting a pile of cards from the card catalog and doing data entry for fun size snickers that was the kind of nerd i was when I was a kid, and the few times I didn't do that, I was basically hiding. Yeah. Did you call your uh, group of friends the super friends? The super friends. I remember there's one point in time when these popular girls, we'll call them popular girls for the purpose of the story, I don't know if they actually were or not, they came into the library to see what was going on, and the library just became a hangout spot for like the half a dozen of us that would do this. And we were there basically every free moment. <laughs> it was like our sanctuary. These girls came in, and this girl walked up to me, and she said, someone told me that Captain Kirk was better than Captain Picard. And I foolishly, in my social awkwardness of like a 13-year-old boy, said, well, I disagree with that. And then she just started cackling in laughter. And said said something about, like, who would have an opinion about that or something. I was like, well, you're the one that approached me about it. But it was one of these, like, humiliating moments that can only happen to a 13-year-old child. Because if some bitch did that to me in a bar today, I'd just be like, 
I'll have another whiskey. <laughs> but when you're when you're 13 and you're and you're like, how do I get this girl to pay attention to me? I don't even know why I want her to pay attention to me, but I want her to. And she like criticizes you for reading 2010 or The Martian Chronicles or having an opinion about who's better, Kirk or Picard. It's it's pretty scarring. I watched uh, videotapes of the original Star Trek series at the public library while I waited um, for my bus uh, because I had spent all day at theater camp. And that was just kind of like that was like kind of like the in between between theater camp and going home. I watched Star Trek. It's, not a, con- it's not a contest, Jay, but you might be winning. <laughs> <laughs> How it took me so long to finally have sex. I, I don't know. It's a mystery for the ages. There's a lot of, wim- a lot of women in um, drama camp, so that's, that's on you. Yeah, that's true. I, was... <laughs> I might have been a little bit of a loser. <laughs> well, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I, don't oh, wanna, no, I... I don't want to drag you anymore. I mean... We're dragging each other. We're dragging ourselves, and I don't want to drag you because I think you're... I actually think you're a relatively cool guy. Yeah, you... Uh... I think we both came to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> After coming by ourselves for a long time. <laughs> oh. I'm a yes. professional scientist working for the federal government, and you're a fucking computer programmer, so I don't think we're super cool. <laughs> you're a software engineer, whatever whatever bullshit title software engineers give themselves to make themselves feel, feel important, and whatever bullshit title I give myself to make myself feel important. I'll have you know I'm also a Boy Scout leader. And I have a uniform <laughs> with a neckerchief. I think we, I think we I think we found a place where we can both be comfortable with ourselves. Um, do you want to move on to the show? Yeah, we probably should. <laughs> All right. So Jamie's doing the plot summary today, so I'm going to do the the intro up top. Um, aside from us self-effacing ourselves as nerds, um, this is a Star Wars cartoon podcast. We talk about Star Wars cartoons, and today we're going to talk about Bad Batch, Season 2, Episode 5, Entombed. I usually do a, a show ca- a a summary of the cast up front, um, but today we're, we're basically dealing with our real, like our regular standard cast, um, so there's no guest stars with the exception of two, and it's two that have been in a bunch of episodes before. Um, but we haven't talked about them, and they're Liam O'Brien and Sam Regal, and these are the guys that play Bolo and Ketch, the Weequay and Ithorian regulars at the bar. Insert the Cheers theme here. Yeah, they're kind of the seem like the regular losers. Um, yeah, yeah, they're Cliff and they're Cliff and Norm at Carlos Bar, right? And. Mm-hmm. Rhea Perlman is playing Sid, and so I feel very comfortable making the Cheers reference here. But yeah, they're the regulars at this fucking bar. Um, but Liam and Sam are not well-known actors, um, but they both have a shit ton of credits. And their credits are both concentrated in the voiceover community, um, both did a ton of voiceover dubbing English language versions of anime shows like Sailor Moon. Um, Liam has hundreds, and I mean by hundreds, I mean over 500 credits 
in the past 20 years doing this sort of thing on like Ghost in the Shell, World of Warcraft, Sailor Moon, and a ton of other things, including Marvel and other things. But I don't want to care. I don't want to focus on their voiceover careers because both of them are famous podcasters. Mm. And so Liam and Sam are both known for the D&D podcast Critical Role, which started in 2015. It is a live stream RPG um, podcast based around D&D 5th edition that they podcast and play on Twitch together. And they're with Matt Mercer, um, Travis Willingham, um, Laura Bailey, and Marissa Ray, and um, Talis and Jeff. Like, this is the cast of this show. And this is one of the most popular um, role-playing podcasts um, on any platform. And so I, I listened to Critical World for a little bit. I've taken a break from it for a couple of years because they went on a campaign I wasn't really following and um, didn't feel like... just ran out of time, basically. I still follow other role-playing podcasts like um, um, The Adventure Zone, and I know The Adventure Zone is critic is uh, heavily influenced by Critical Role, including having guest appearances by Matt Mercer. Wait, wait a sec. Do they are they the ones who did the? Um, there's that um, TV series on um, Amazon because um, I. Our mutual friend, um, his um, brother contacted me, and we—I hadn't talked to him in a long time. And he talked about Critical Role. I'd never heard it before because I'm—I just—I don't follow that sort of stuff. Um, and then he started talking about how there's a Kickstarter for some cartoon called The Legends of uh, um, Vox Machina. Yeah, that could be them. Because it's got, um, looking at the cast. Matthew Mercer, Matt Mercer, Sam Regal. Yes, that's them. Okay. I'm trying to search their IMDb page. And yes. Liam O'Brien. Yes, that's them. A bunch of other people. And so this is this is sort of their their launching pad. And so I would consider this a casting Easter egg um, in the Bad Batch. This is a this is a fan this is a fan casting. Yes. Hmm. So it can happen. It can happen. Right. And we're we, taking it. Anybody else who's listening, who's a Star Wars podcast, fuck off. This slot is ours. Do you want to go into the show? Because I think we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so the show opens up on a junkyard where Wrecker and Omega are looking for a compressor. According to Wrecker, he loves a good junkyard, and Omega is taking the opportunity to gather some of her own treasures. She grabs a few items from a compartment of a rotting ship, and Wrecker finds the compressor. Cut back to Sid's bar where Fee is telling Bolo and Ketch a story by the time she had to fight an octomorph when she found the Grand Pearl of Novak. Tech, Echo, and Hunter are in the bar, and they do not believe her story, but the rest of the bar is captivated. Uh, Tech mentions that the story changes every time she says it. And uh, one thing I didn't notice the first time around is they're wearing actual, just plain people clothes. Civvies. They're not wearing armor. Yeah, they're wearing, they're wearing civvies. Yeah, there's a couple a couple cool things about this opening, right? Um, I love seeing just Omega having fun. Mm-hmm. Right, like we we talked about in a previous episode, how I felt sorry for her for not having a childhood. 
and her and Wrecker together are sort of like the two kids of the group. And they're going to this this junkyard on Ord Mantell, looking for a compressor, which is a piece of tech that Ray complains about. Ray and Han Solo complain about in The Force Awakens on the Millennium Falcon. And she comes back with a bunch of shit that she also thinks it just looks cool. And this is this is very kid-like. We're both parents, and I think our kids have both like brought home an interesting-looking leaf or an interesting-looking rock from a park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at yeah. this pine cone. Yeah, it's a pine cone. Okay, you, we can put it on the shelf. And yeah, then, with all the other... With all the other fucking things. <laughs> yeah. Um, all I can think about is... For this, I'll, I can think about was just Wanda Sykes in the recording studio saying this various stuff, and she's just like, because like I wonder, like, is she, is she? I mean, she's obviously doing it for money, but it's like, did somebody approach her? Is she doing? Because like, like maybe like there's a, a kid in her life or somebody who really likes Star Wars, and be like, oh, you should totally do this. She's she's the perfect age for this. Like, she's the perfect age to be a Star Wars fan. True, but just like just knowing like the, her um, kind of like the persona that she g- gives off and like her stand up and like interviews and stuff, could just think her just be like, like what the fuck is an octomorph? Yeah, I. So we can talk about like all of all of the shit she says in this episode because I think I texted you shit that I didn't like about this episode. We can talk about like like some of the stuff she says later, but. Um, I just assumed, maybe, maybe I don't have a good perception of this, but in my mind, she's important enough to work where she wants to work, and she wouldn't have auditioned for this if she didn't love Star Wars, because the dialogue she has to say in this episode is fucking ridiculous. True, yeah. And and I am just, when we, we the reason why we didn't talk about Wanda Sykes today as a cast member is because we covered her in her first appearance in Bad Batch in episode one. Um, and we covered her then because I wasn't sure she was coming back. I love... My my overall opinion of this episode aside, I love that they gave her a whole episode to shine. And this episode is a Fee-slash-Wanda episode. And I love it. That that they gave her space to, to be. And I think the quote you chose reveals what I love about about this character so a uh, wrecker and omega return with the compressor and the trinkets uh that she found tech accepts the compressor but bad mouths the other uh stuff that omega got uh fee looks at some of the different items while most of the materials are just broken ship parts a small uh, a small circular disc has markings on it fee asks for a droid uh mill which is pretty much just like a walking trash can which is cool. I like seeing like the uh, droid and Andor. Just seeing droids that are just like they're just chonk. Just <laughs> they're just chonky. They're just yeah. Mel Mel is a new configuration of a of a power droid, and so she's basically a walking battery. But she's like a gonk, but with a different shell. I I I agree with you. I love it. So uh, okay. Um, so uh, if he asks her droid Mel to look at the disc and the markings. Our coordinates. Uh, the disk is a compass that gives instructions to find the Keldar trinary system. Uh, trinary system, I assume, would mean three stars. I assumed as well. Okay. They, there's there's no there's no information about it in Wikipedia, but that's what 
astronomically you would describe it as. And uh, I think Keldar, trying to think, um, remember, I think Keldar is the name of a uh, Ferengi. If you say so. That I I, I yeah, there's or, no there's no reference inside Star Wars to Keldar. I I looked that up. I did not look outside of Star Wars. Oh god damn it! I can't. Do you want me to check? Keldar. Okay. Keldar is a is a Star Trek reference. Keldar was a Ferengi, husband of Ishka, father of Quark. So Keldar was Quark's father. Quark was the Ferengi who ran the bar on Deep Space Nine. Good call. I did not look that far for reference. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> I was actually thinking something else, but um, yeah, that's cool because they um, Skeletor's real name is something like Keldor. So I was just like, so I was like, oh, is that that would be cool? Um, but no, it's um, it's the Fringy. So Skeletor's real name is Keldor. Yes, I was right. You were right. That is that is quite the poll because <laughs> I did not know that. Huge nerd. Can I say? All right. So, um, so Tex says the system does not appear in the database. Fee says you don't put tre- you don't put treasure on a map. Omega is excited about the possibility of treasure. Fee praises Omega for finding it. Omega wants to go, but the Bad Batch Hunter, primarily because he seems to be a bit of a curmudgeon, uh, doesn't want to go. Wrecker wants to go as well, but Echo also disagrees with going. Sorry. Uh, Hunter reluctantly agrees to escort Fee on this trip, and they're on their way. Now, this seems like something that um, it, it didn't happen the way I thought, but I, it just this just seemed like um, um, like Fee was just using Omega to get help. Yeah. Um, She's just like winding her winding her up, getting her all excited about something. So I, then. I didn't. I didn't interpret it that way. I can see. I can see that point of view now. But when I was watching it, it was. It, it felt. It felt a little bit more opportunistic rather than manipulative to me. And I, I make a pretty. I make a pretty stark distinction in between the two. I know people don't, but if you. You don't have to get it. You don't have to try hard to get Omega excited. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he would have gone by herself, but she she might have. Um, because if you actually look at at the the aid that the Bad Batch give her in this quest, it's pretty minimal. And, and it's true. And, and Hunter basically spends the entire time, especially we'll get there get there in a few minutes. But especially after they get separated, he does nothing but bitch about getting home. <laughs> Like his his entire his entire dialogue is like we have to get the fuck out of here, from like the second that monster attacks them. Mm-hmm. And so I I don't know if she would have gone by herself, or what would have happened if she would have gone by herself. But she might have been just so she might have been able to achieve this by herself and just leave that thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. But I just I don't like Hunter's character in this in this episode. Yeah, yeah. There's um, either either agree to it or don't agree to it. Don't agree to it and then bitch the entire time. Well, that that's pretty much how I go yeah. about life. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm made to do something by my family, and then I make sure that everybody's miserable because I don't actually want to be there. Yeah, not a not a good not a good look. 
I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> just just find a way to be happy, okay? Yeah, yeah it usually involves me getting drunk. But I know I know no shit happens to Hunter in this episode, but try to be try to be happy. Try to try to find try to see the positive in all of this. Try to see the growth opportunity for Omega. Try to you decided to placate Fee in this. Just play fucking along. Don't be a dickhead. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's okay. keep going. All right. So, um, so the group's on their way to the Keldar system. Fee is uh, telling Omega about the time she found the blade of Zakatapar. Fee refers to herself not as a pirate, but a liberator of ancient treasures. Now, this is something very much like, uh, like Afra would say, or even like thinking about like the High Republic books, like with the um, the Path of the Open Hand. They're they liberate force objects. No, they're actually stealing force objects. But yeah, so we. I want to get into this a little bit later, but but this line from her was what like locked me into. It was sort of her her story with Ketch and Bolo at the beginning, but this line, her liberator of ancient artifacts or objects, locked me into. Oh, this is Afra. This is an Afra character. Yeah, which makes me sad that it's not Afra, but I'm glad we're getting an Afra character. Yeah, it's like me. I'm the uh, I'm the liberator of my neighbor's TVs. That was a joke. You're supposed to laugh. Okay. You're I was laughing. on I was on mute. I was laughing. <laughs> All right. So the Havoc Marauder lands on the planet. Now it, uh, this planet is barren. Uh, it's in hospital. Uh, it says it was raised a long time ago. Um, raised uh, in the sense of like just like pretty much like burned to the ground. There's humongous scars in it that look kind of like um, what I thought would have been like like humongous like treads or something. Um, they did a very good job on the design of this planet being a ruined world. Uh, so there's no sign of civilizations. Um, while they discuss the planet, the compass activates. It's making a pinging noise that gets stronger as Echo walks in a certain direction. Echo says it wants them to go uh, what is south on that planet. Omega grabs it and runs off. After a while, Omega comes to a dead end. The compass has led them to a mountain. Omega thinks that they might have to go around, but Fee says they should look for an entrance to see if they can go inside. Fee and Wrecker move some rocks and boulders to reveal a hidden door. This is after a almost uh, cave-in sort of a thing. Uh, Omega, Fee, and Wrecker are excited, but the rest of the group just follows. Just kind of uh, they're the fourth, fifth, and sixth wheel, I guess. They're there. Uh, they're there for support, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're not at this point in the episode. They're not telegraph telegraphing any emotion. They're like, okay, let's keep going. So um, as they go in, some kind of beast follows them into the doorway um, slash cave. Now <clears throat> inside the caves are etchings on the wall. Text says the writings are over a thousand years old. Um, he says, uh, well, he actually, he actually says that they predate the Republic, right? Eventually, uh, eventually, he says they predate the Republic, but but that comes in a later scene. I'm getting ahead. Okay. He says it's probably way older than that. She says that she thinks they have found Scar Null. Uh, nobody knows what that is. Fee lets them know that it's a, a legend that pirates know that leads back to the ancients. Um, is it um, is it Echo that says uh, the Jedi? And she's like, no, older than the, older than that. Scar Null is where the treasure. The heart of the mountain is found. So, so that's kind of like uh, cool. Now we know like what the 
I guess what it is that they'll be searching for. This is this is also a heavy Afro moment where where like this reminded me of like um what did the what was like the Ordu that she found like all the crystals for and then like the robots became animated and all that stuff. Oh yeah, because the Je- the Jedi had like the one Jedi had like put his consciousness in right. into like the crystals. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, that um this actually made me think of a lot of certain parts made me think of the Goonies. And I thought about this as like, well, like how would they know? Um, there's a shit ton like, of there's sh- there's a shit ton of Goonies, shit ton of Fifth Element, shit ton of Indiana Jones in this episode as well. Well, yeah, because like, um, like let's say so, like in like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, they uh, the it's known that that thing is in the temple because probably people like legend has passed down. But if this is something that's been so, like so long ago, how does anybody know that this thing exactly. is there? Exactly. There's there's a there's a huge continuity of information problem that they have here. Yeah. Um. I think I think if we if we get into it at the end, I want to talk about like what the yeah. what these ancients were. Yeah. This is like Chunk saying to Mikey, like, wait, wait a second. If he killed all his men, how did the legend get out? But this is just one of those. I'm just gonna go with it. Like a lot of Star Wars <laughs> and sci-fi in general. I mean, it sucks. It, the explanation sucks, but it's true. Right, like, like you're one hundred percent accurate here that that they blow right past this. They blow right past the continuity of information problem, which is something that other resident nerds like even Stephen Hawking worked on. Like, what's what does continuity of information mean? Right, like, is that a conservation of energy problem? Like, it is. It is not an illegitimate scientific question about like what does it mean to destroy information. And obviously, this information has been destroyed by time, right? They don't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a fucking clue what the heart of the mountain is. She thinks it's valuable. That's why they're there. And, yeah. And and the value of it is abstract. Because somebody has to have known that it exists. Because it isn't like like again, channeling raiders. In raiders, there's visible signs of people who have tried to get at it before. There's the, the um, his name Forrestal. Yeah, the the competitor that they find his body. Yeah, exactly. So like like none of the traps have been like I'm getting to I'm getting to ahead, but like it's it looks like nobody's been in the in this um place for a long time. So it's just yeah, it doesn't pa- make a whole lot of sense. But let's let's I, power forward on the on the plot. We can we can we can pull it apart after we after people know what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Fee looks around the room and notices that there are symbols that need to be lined up in order to proceed deeper into the chamber. She and Wrecker again move one of the symbols until they are aligned by part of the way through, but uh, they accidentally trigger a booby trap and a rock falls on the ground, uh, blocking the exit. From Actually, it falls, almost falls on Wrecker, and then the room like shifts or like a door closes. So right. then, then right. they're stuck. It's not super clear. I tried. I watched it a few times. It's not super clear what happens, but but the net result is they can't leave. They're yeah. basically sealed in this chamber, and yeah, Rucker and almost gets Re- crushed. Yeah, Rucker's not nearly as strong as you think he would be because she's able to just push him over. In in reality, she'd probably just like get out of the way, and she like push him, and he'd be like, "What?" and then get smushed. Yeah, she'd push him and fall down. Yeah. Hunter is upset that Fee has trapped them there, but she says that like solving a puzzle, it's all part of the process. Now, I can kind of understand, like, if shit starts to go sideways on something that I didn't want to do, I'd be like, nope, 
we're leaving. We're leaving. Screw this. But um, I can we'll... also, but I can also sympathize with the no, no. We're here, therefore we're going to fix it. We're going to finish. Sort of attitude. I can, I can see her point of view on this. Right. Yeah, we, we wouldn't have an uh, episode if uh, if they're just like, oh yeah, you're right. We should get out of here. It's too dangerous. So Omega notices that she she looks through a hole in the center of the compass that she can see different symbols on the wall, and if they align the invisible symbols, that maybe it'll open up the next chamber. So Fee passes the light of the lantern through the compass, and it fills the room with purple light, kind of showing uh, hidden symbols. It's very much kind of like um, um, like a black light. Yeah, in 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 tradition of shining a black light on the room, you can see all the semen stains on the carpet. Yeah, and the in uh, the poster of uh, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It look, it really pops, right? <laughs> let's let's all get super fucking high and do that. Yeah, I took half an edible, so we're okay. <laughs> I have a jazz gummy. My my wife's jazz gummies. I took one of those. Okay, so the team aligns the symbols and the room rotates to open the uh, exit. Um, uh, out of the mountain and into the next chamber. Fee tells uh, her droid Mel to stay behind. Wrecker, Tech, Omega, and Fee proceed excitedly. Excited, ugh, excitedly. Hunter and Echo proceed cautiously. Omega asks what the heart of the mountain is. Fee says it is the key to unlocking an ancient power, which makes it very valuable. Uh, we'll just skip over how she knows that. Tech says the stones predate the Republic, and Fee might be onto something. This is sort of like Tech's transition into an enthusiastic participant. He is he is not a skeptic from here on out. Um, he later he later has a task, but from this point forward, he is like I think she has a point. I think we might actually be in Scar and all. I think we are on the verge of an ancient power, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he he is very easily convinced in a in a way that helps the audience be convinced. Okay, so as they're walking through, like, uh, all of a sudden everybody gets really quiet. Um, and, like, you can see, like, hands go towards blasters. And a large fang monster drops from the ceiling and attacks Wrecker. Uh, the Bad Batch all fight back with blasters and energy bolts from Omega's bow, eventually freeing Wrecker, but causing a cave-in that separates the group. Uh, also, Wrecker uh, ripped off one of its horns, which is pretty rad. Yeah, I love that scene where he just, like, you hear like crunch. Yeah, know? it's like uh, it's like uh, that uh, Conan the Destroyer at the end, at the end. I mean, Conan the Barbarian was a much better movie, but Conan the Destroyer, he just like the big monster. He, he like gets in the back and just rips its horn off with his bare strength. It's pretty rad. So it uh, causes the cave in there, and they're separated. Hunter, Fee, and Omega are together in one group. Tech, Wrecker, and Echo are in another group. Tech thinks that he can map. He can map a way to meet up in a deeper chamber. The group, uh, the groups proceed deeper into the mountain. Fee, Omega, and Hunter arrive at a tunnel. Hunter wants to keep the pace to avoid whatever that monster was. Fee is worried that they haven't encountered a trap yet, sensing things are just a little too easy. Omega sees that there's more markings on the ceiling of the tunnel when she projects the compass light on the ceiling. Hunter falls through the floor, but he's saved by his grappling hook. He climbs out uh, with the help of Fee and complains that Fee is just guessing what to do. And she has kind of a smart alley quip to it. This is this is about as Indiana Jones as the episode gets, is this tunnel 
where it's mm-hmm. just like it's just like oh there's like a puzzle we have to solve and the puzzle is obvious if you have the right tool sort of thing mm-hmm. it's it's really silly in my opinion yeah. but it, it works in the episode yeah so then while uh, hunter and fee are um arguing uh, omega notices there's a slot in the walls uh, that's the same shape as the compass she puts it in and is able to rotate the tunnel 180 degrees she then tests the stability of the tunnel with a large rock and it seems clear that they can proceed but the compass is now embedded in the wall um fee says that scar null has reclaimed it and omega seems to kind of like this uh phrasing that um making it kind of more mystical and adding to her kind of childlike wonder that kind of she has throughout this whole episode for treasure hunting. Hunter is upset that they now don't even have the compass, but Fee says they still have her. Tech, Wrecker, and Echo are getting lost in the tunnels. Their scanner and comms aren't working. Wrecker thinks that the beast is stalking them. Echo tells them to calm down. They round a corner and run into Omega, or Hunter, Omega, and Fee. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a couple things in this sequence that don't necessarily pay off in the long run. One is the the other half of the Bad Batch getting lost and then just mating up with the Bad Batch. Yeah. I mean, it that doesn't bother me that much. But also, like, Hunter being worried that they don't have the compass anymore when the compass has been so useful so far. Mm-hmm. And Fee's like, you got me. And then none of that pays off. Yeah. <laughs> None of it. Like, he's, yeah. he's ultimately wrong in this episode, not to spoil too much. Yeah. And and Hunter's insecurity about not having the one piece of alien tech they have to navigate this problem isn't mitigated by anything in the episode. I was very frustrated by this, because I'm a very, very much a Chekhov's gun sort of person. Like, if you introduce that the character is allergic to bananas in the first act there better fucking be a banana by Act 3. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what the fuck do I care? True. All right. So, um... So, Tech asks what kind of puzzle they're at now. Fee's that sometimes... A, she calls him brown eyes. And Fee uh, says, sometimes a door is just a door, and not to overthink things. She opens the door. Uh, now, this is kind of a cool opening door where it's like the latch is at the bottom, and then it kind of something like comes out and it spins kind of like a um, like a vault door and then it and then it slides into the wall and then uh, she opens the door and inside the vault that there's a blue and purple chunk of crystal and fee identifies that as the heart of the mountain now now this is cool because they are entering just like a humongous area that's like um it's not just like a, another tunnel they actually like have to like climb down now I don't know if you notice this, but not to talk raiders again. But as Fee is trying to take um, the the heart of the mountain out, Omega is doing the thing that Alfred Molina's character was doing, where she's just like holding her hands, just kind of like, just like, like almost making the exact same motions, kind of like kind of like this money sound, like this money symbol, is like just being super careful. It was pretty. It was pretty cool. Um, I missed that because I was distracted by the fact that the heart of the mountain looks like one of the fifth element um, stones. Mm. Yeah. So she removes it from the slot in the floor that was lodged in, and immediately the mountain begins to shake. And th- now this is like where I, this is not where I expected the episode to go at all. 
So I was, this is a very pleasant surprise uh, for me. So the outside, we can see a huge energy blast and then an explosion. The droid Mel starts to run away from the mountain. Now inside the mountain, the, uh, that there's lights activating, the chamber starts to move. It's, um, it looks like they're in some sort of like, um, like uh, artificial, like, like, sh like at first I thought it was a ship. Uh, and like, when you see like, see a couple shots of the outside, you see it like just huge explosions. It looks like, um, like, um, like a volcano erupting. And then you find this, like this huge, like mech, this four legged mech is just walking out of the shell of the mountain. And it's got, it's got this huge, um, like <clears throat> it's got this head, it's got like four eyes that are like windows and it's got this big, um, like mouth. And then that's just like humongous, um, it's just like this cannon and it discharges this cannon and it just cuts grooves into the ground. So calling back from the, um, the beginning of the episode, all those grooves in were from this, um, this mech. Right. And so this mech is, is basically a walker. It's basically like mm -hmm. a, a dinosaur sized machine that has four legs and a long neck and a head that has some sort of energy cannon on it. Yeah, but it's it's not like uh, like most um, like when you, when you think of like walkers or other um, ships in Star Wars where they're very boxy or functional. This is very sleek, like a lot of curves. Kind of looks like it was almost designed you know to look like a an animal or something and and think of something like power rangers or something i guess where it's just very it's not clunky it looks very like well crafted and and um and nothing like you like see in star wars right it's very it's very smooth very mm -hmm. very i don't know ergonomic or something it's 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 almost form over function but the function is hyper capable Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they realize this machine is just some sort of destructive device, and uh, Tech theorizes that maybe if they put the heart back, it will stop. Fee argues that they can't do it because, um, I mean, that's what they came here for, but Hunter's like, yeah, our ship's out there. If it destroys the ship, we're screwed. We're stranded. So Fee, Fee agrees. But the beast attacks again, like it <clears throat> somehow opens the door, and the heart of the mountain is dropped, and it um, it like falls through a crack and Fee has to go under, um, through the crack to get it. Um, while everybody else f fights the monster. Essentially Fee loses her footing and falls out the mechanical beast. Um, and Hunter grabs her hand while she pulls her back in. So kind of, uh, payback for Fee helping him before. Hunter grabs her, pulls her back in and the mechanical beast keeps on firing the energy weapon and it destroys, uh, the droid Mel. And then back with uh, everybody else, they're all fighting the beast. The blasters don't seem to slow it down much. But uh, Wrecker yells for Omega uh, and the others to shoot the windows, like so what look like eyes on the outside. It shatters, and he's able to just grab the beast by the tail and fling it out the window. And uh, then it's then it's gone. So Tech is trying to deactivate the machine, but it's not working. Fee tosses Tech the heart of the mountain, and he sticks it into the slot just in time before it destroys the Havoc Marauder. But um, something happens. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it wasn't meant to just 
uh, turn off like that, or maybe because it's just so old that the heart of the mountain just like overheats and melts and the whole machine just um, crashes down. But uh, they're able to um, come out of it unscathed. Uh, Tech says that they are zero for two for treasure hunting. Omega says the heart of the mountain proved that the legend was real. The next morning, they're finally going to get back to the ship. Hunter says that at least no one could use it again. Omega apologizes for the droid being destroyed. Fee says it happens all the time and the droid is backed up on her ship. Fee says that she isn't going to stop treasure hunting and starts telling Omega about a chalice that once belonged to the kingdom of the Elways. And then Omega is very excited to hear the story, like all the all of Fee's stories. And that's the end of the episode. So, thoughts? Yeah, did you like it? I thought it was alright. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I think I think giving Fee like a chance at a whole episode is was smart because um, it makes her like a full fledged character in the show. I like I liked how much like Afra she was, like this liberator of ancient treasures, this archae this rogue archaeologist sort of thing, and like oh it's worth money we're gonna go get it sort of person. Mm-hmm. But but really biased toward like historical artifacts. I, I, I appreciated that a lot. And then the walker. I I didn't quite understand the mechanics of the walker, how like the heart of the mountain crystal prevented it from doing what it was doing and why it fell apart at the end. But I, I really like the idea that that the Star Wars universe is a reboot. That there was like a like a th- thoroughly competent society that discovered hyperspace and that mapped the, the galaxy and was basically in control and had all this great tech to the point where they cared about the design of that tech. Um, and then they disappeared and all of their shit is still laying around for people to stumble upon, like all these idiots, like basically cavemen. Mm-hmm to like find like a handgun someplace and be like oh I'm powerful now but but like a caveman with a handgun is there's very little else that I can think of that's more dangerous I, I just I, I love all of this I, I just I just adore like the universe building going back in time mm-hmm. and so I, I, I really really thoroughly enjoyed this episode even if it's quote unquote like a filler episode, I think it gives Fee a lot, and it sort of shows. I even like the like the kid moments between Wrecker and like Omega. Like she needs that sort of interaction. It's good to mm-hmm. see that familial thing. What did you think of it? Yeah, I, I I liked it overall. The 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 um it was very much just like a Indiana Jones sort of. Uh, sort of thing. I was kind of getting ready for Fee to fuck them over somehow. Um, just because she just seemed like she was just playing on Omega, like telling her all these tall tales. Um, that she was going to like, once they found the heart of the mountain, she was just going to be like, so long suckers. Um, that was a surprising piece of it, that, that she did not fight them very hard on putting it back. And we did have the episode faster where um, the big guy, 
um, Winston warned the, warned the Bad Batch about being betrayed by Sid. Not by Fee, but by Sid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a good good thing to be on guard for them being betrayed. Yeah, yeah, and just, there's just a lot of elements of uh, uh, Indiana Jones, Goonies, in this, and then um, add in, uh, add in a, a mech from name your favorite uh, Japanese anime that has giant robots. Um, and I, you know, and I really like the design, like it's kind of like a mecha Godzilla uh, sort of thing. And then they're just kind of like, well, at least nobody else can do it. You know, I would prefer, I'd prefer episodes that kind of like fed the main plot, but for filler, it wasn't too problematic. Um, can we talk about the design of this thing? Yeah. So I texted you an image tonight before the recording and the image was the tomb guardian from um Jedi Survivor Fallen Order. Yep, Fallen Order. Jedi Survivor Fallen Order. Um this dude looks a fuck ton like this walker in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, it's I think it would be um yeah, I think it's it'd be a safe assumption that that this is like a a Zepho artifact. So is Bad Batch referencing Zepho is my question to you. And it sounds like you're saying yes. Yeah, not the planet itself, but the um but just like their 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 tech. So even even the compass um that that she's using to find the place could be a version of an astrium, which are the circular objects created by the Zepho to map the way to locations of meaningful things. And so the last, the last remaining astrium was buried at on Dathomir on the tomb of Kujet, who is the the dark side user of the Zepho. Um, the Jedi Eno used his, like, hid the list of Force-sensitive children in the vault of his tomb. In the comic. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, really, I really think this is an insanely specific reference to the Zepho, like they're establishing the Zepho as the quote-unquote ancients. Um, but I do, I do want to get your opinion about like ancient, like pre-Republic civilizations, if you have the time. Oh yeah. So there, there's, there's not a lot in canon, current canon about pre-Republic civilizations, but I know that you liked Kotor. Um, back in the day, and so what do you think about the Rakata um, civilization as being the ancients? Well, I don't know if they can be because they were made um, canon, and they were referenced uh, by Luthen in uh, Andor. That's right, but but the, but but their canon referenced by Luthen, giving Andor the Sky Kyber. He doesn't establish what what they were, just that he just establishes the word cotton. Okay, yeah, true. I mean, yeah, they could be like one of many ancients, um, because I mean, the galaxy's 
quite old. Um, we just um, we're just enjoying Star Wars from this like era. A tiny you, sliver. Yeah, there was um, there was all sorts of um, crazy wild stuff that happened like a millennia before. So and then a millennia before that. Not, so, not even not even millennia, right? So even even in like the canon, like the non-canon continuity, the the Republic lasts for 25,000 years. And so the fall of the Republic is after tens of thousands of years. And we're, we're getting... The majority of Star Wars stories takes place in the Skywalker saga, which is like the 100 years ish between like the birth of Anakin and the death of Ben Solo. That that is less than a hundred years. But we're getting like High Republic stuff and not a whole lot else outside of High Republic. Not 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 things before that necessarily that are that are firm canon. But the old continuity goes back thirty, forty thousand years to Python and prior to the Jedi, prior to the Sith Civil War and all that stuff. I am super thirsty for that information. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I like the Afro comics so much and all the whole Afro story is that she finds these weird things that have happened and is willing to elaborate on them. And it seems yeah. like everybody else is just like it's like, like, oh, I gotta go get milk. I gotta form a Jedi temple. I don't have to care about the past. That's one of the things I loved about The Last Jedi is Luke, like, seeking out the origins of the Jedi. And one of these things, it's like, like, how do you not fucking care about this, you chuds? Like, he is trying to find, like, the origins because he's having an existential crisis. And he wants to know the origin of his religion and whether or not it's valid. And and what he results in is like, yeah, I'm Superman, but I might not be right. It's fucking perfect, right? Because like, mm-hmm. like what's a greater what's a greater crisis of conscience than like I'm all powerful but might be a monster, right? If I can't control this power, I might be wrong. What's 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 more valid than that? <laughs> Yeah, and I think I think anyone that doesn't understand that character arc just has it's just an impotent, powerless fool who's never <laughs> who's never been faced with the faced with the possibility to be like, no, I actually give a shit what you think, and your your decision may impact millions of people, and and that that responsibility is fucking huge. And if you if you're not if you can't break down in the face of that, you're either a psychopath or incompetent. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get too much into Last Jedi stuff, but I yeah I completely, completely agree with that. And I, I really love I love the idea of like that there was like um, the civilizations before. There's just little trinkets left where they because supposedly like the Zepho like killed them like. 
pretty much like killed themselves and then um, just through like war and stuff. And then some of them just kind of like scattered through the galaxy to end up who knows where. But just the idea is that like there's like um, uh, that, that, that there was some sort of like galaxy spanning civilization before and, and they just left all their shit. That's infinite. You know, that's that's the story of the Infinite Empire, right? Like the Ricotta are the one that figured out exactly how to do hyperspace travel, and even even in canon Star Wars right now, people don't understand how hyperspace travel works. Right? There's there's it's almost a force ability to be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of like um like audiobooks that I listened like sci-fi audiobooks that there's there's like these um what they call them like either like the the ancients or like I don't know, like Halo called them like forerunners or um I can't even remember what some of the other ones said but usually something like that um it's discovery of the stargate yeah it's like um like the the game series Mass Effect where all of a sudden they get to the edge of the exactly. you know, the solar system and all of a sudden like Hey, there's this huge thing that allows us to travel to other to other solar systems, um, or the Expanse series, where after the gates open and then they just find relics of like some civiliz- long dead civilization. Um, and I just, oh, I, I just love that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and I, I'm glad that they explored a little bit here. Yeah, that's anything that fills in the backstory in even in a piecemeal way. I'm on. I'm on board for. Mm-hmm. And Mass Effect thing is perfect. The Expanse thing is perfect. Um, it it just shows that that anything anything that hints at a bigger universe, I'm for. And this is one of the things that I wish they would have tied into, like the movies. It's like like please make the Zepho meaningful to the movies because they didn't. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, I don't. I don't want to become like a sequel hater because it is what it is. But it just it just makes it seem like there's a bigger story happening in the universe that we're not aware of. That bigger story is being told in comics. Um, did you have any other thoughts about the episode? No, no, not really. I do want to talk talk for a second about Bolo and Ketch because they're the only guest stars in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to talk about their D&D podcast. Um, I don't think we've mentioned it before, but in the in the Clone Wars Saved Season 7 episodes, um, there's a arc with the Marquez sisters. Martez sisters, maybe? I think it's Martez, yeah. Martez. And in one of the episodes with the Martez sisters, um, Ahsoka finds herself in jail with one of them. And there is a large-scale jailbreak. And in one of the jail cells is a weak way and an Ithorian who are dressed the same as Bolo and Ketch. (laughs) And they escape with... Ahsoka and the Martez sisters. It is not confirmed that they are the same characters, but it seems silly that they're not. And so I'm going to 
make a Star Wars animation proclamation webcast certified that Bolo and Ketch were in prison on the Pike Syndicate planet with the Martez sisters and Ahsoka. And these are the same characters, and that is the continuity between Clone Wars Season 7 and Bad Batch Season 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Mercer... Matt Mercer, Steve, uh, Sam, um, do not, and Liam do not have acting credits in that Clone Wars series, but they also don't have speaking parts in those episodes. So, any objection? You no. Have a, you have a fifty percent okay. vote for this, so. <laughs> sure, that, that's fine. All right, so Ketchumbolo escaped from the Pike Syndicate prison with um, the Martez sisters and um, Ahsoka. We will update Wikipedia henceforth. <laughs> I wonder Alrighty. what the fuck he would do if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> Let's see what happens. It'll be f- fucking funny. <laughs> Um, do you want to do the rating or anything? Is there anything else you sure. want to talk about? Uh, no, there's not. I, well, so. I do. I do want to get your opinion, just real quick. I know we're super long, but what what do you think about Afra showing up in this series? I would be I would be all for it, and I hope that Fee is not a a stand-in for Afra because they don't want to do Afra unless that they've got something else planned uh, for Afra. And then, and then with the Zepho showing up, what do you think about Cal showing up? I'd be all for that. You'd be for that. Yeah. Okay. Except he's he'd be he's still a little kid. Around, uh, um, he's on that he's on that planet, and he's he's about Omega's age. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Honestly, like like also, there's a rumor going around that we're going to get four seasons of Bad Batch, so they can they can age everybody up. And meet these other characters in future episodes. So, since it's well established that Lucas, Lucasfilm executives listen to this podcast and care about what we have to say, <laughs> um, we want we want an R-rated Afra um, cartoon. Yeah. Don't, don't edit her. Don't edit her. Don't make her something she's not. Just, just do it. Yeah. Don't try to make Afro PG thirteen. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Okay. Do you want to move on? Yeah. All right. So let's do the rating. So uh, now we'll do our uh, <clears throat> patent pitted rating system, where we rate an episode. We rate episodes by uh, Star Wars character. So a Really great episode would be an original trilogy character, Han, Luke, Leia, Vader, Chewie, etc. A really bad episode would be... Bolo. Bolo. Okay. <laughs> or a, a Bolo. Um, so what do, you, what, do you, what do you rate this as? I was going to be clever, but I, I think I'm just going to do an Afra. Um, I, I, I want this episode to be important, and I want Afra to be important for canon. And it just... 
the very first time I watched it, I was like, oh, is Feed trying to be Afra or is like Afra like an archetype in this universe? Like, can we bring Afra in? Can like Fee and Afra like have a face off or or can Afra learn something from Fee or something? Like I want I want there to be something here. This is definitely Wanda Sykes episode. This is a Fee heavy episode. And I don't mind the Indiana Jonesness of it. I don't mind like the bottle storyness of it. I I just like it. And I wonder how popular Afra is in Greater Star Wars, but she should be more popular. Yeah, what, definitely. What do you give it? Oh, I give this a um, similar uh, similar ranking. I give it uh, Eno Cordova. He's the uh, Jedi archaeologist from Fallen Order. I believe you had mentioned him earlier. Yeah, I mentioned him because he hid the he had the list of um, force sensitive children in the tomb of the Zepho. Mm-hmm. On Dathomir. Yeah, good good call. I want to do more Fallen Order shit. I'm going to just buy that fucking Xbox, I guess. <laughs> I know you criticize how much money I spend on Star Wars lately, but... I'm I'm reluctant to tell you my, my new plan, but I'm going to wait till R2 is up and running before I tell you my new plan for, for the basement. Okay. Because you, you, you sort of balked at... A very silly thing I wanted to buy, but not even an expensive oh. thing. Oh, the, oh, the the Boba Fett helmet. Yeah, yeah. Like, like don't don't give me shit about stuff like that because that's oh, no, a hundred bucks. That's just me because I'm poor. Um. Okay, but <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll be uh, next episode we're reviewing is uh, uh, episode. Uh, is it episode five? Yeah. Or no, it's episode six. Six, episode six, which is called Tribe. And uh, be sure to uh, give us a uh, five star uh, rating on whatever uh, podcast aggregator you use. We don't uh, we don't do any uh, advertising. It's just word of mouth for us. So um, anyway, you could help us out. That would be great. Tell a friend that there's uh, two guys who talk way too much about stupid stuff and Star Wars. Um, and if you think we suck, tell somebody you don't like at work about us to waste their time. So uh, we'll be back again with the next episode of The Bad Batch, The Tribe. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochbaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Go to chapter two.